This week on the Rugby Paper Podcast, it's just the full house of columnists joining me with a few things on the menu. Rumours of a World Rugby League in which the top team in the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere play a final every two years have solidified. And of course, we look ahead to the round of 16 of the Champions Cup. It's been a fairly furious few weeks for the podcast, so this week a little bit more of a tranquil approach. Um, no special guest. I'm carrying a bit of an illness, so I apologise for my voice. Uh, we're going to look ahead to the round of 16 in the Champions Cup. And with the full house of columnists, I thought before we do that, I want to get your opinion, gentlemen, on the proposition of this North versus South World League, which has been brought back into the limelight since the end of the Six Nations. Um, so let's start there. I think that'll make for quite an interesting discussion. It's still not early stages, but we haven't quite had as much clarity as we could have. Um, but Brendan, to begin with, why don't you outline your understanding of how it would actually work? Well, it, from what we understand, it's it's basically the you know, the top 12 teams in the world, but that's not done on ranking. It's done on basically the tournaments, Six Nations, uh, Sansar, plus Japan, plus Fiji. And... It looks like instead of having these somewhat arbitrary summer tours, November tours, um, these matches are going to be done on a home and away basis uh, over two years. You're going to get uh, a league, uh, two, you know, so you've got two leagues of six. You're going to get a winner. So you've got first v second, third v fourth, fifth v sixth. So there's going to be a sort of ranking order at the end of it. But there's, there's not a lot of flesh on it. Um, and I know Chris has already raised the point, well, you know, why aren't Georgia involved in, in that if it's actually strictly done on world rankings? Uh, and I'd make the point straight away that um, in 2017, World Rugby, and I think it was San Francisco they were meeting, did this protocol of, for the fixtures for the next 12, 15 years. And it was in, meant to involve a 39% increase of Tier 2 countries playing tier one countries. Well, that hasn't happened anyway. And if this happens, it's not going to remotely get close to what was the um, uh, publicly stated WRU, uh, uh, sorry, World Rugby um, system that they wanted to adopt. So I want to see a bit more flesh on the bone, really. We don't really know what we're talking about yet. I mean, there's obviously talks going on. Uh, I'd be interested to see how this sort of plays out. When you say, Bren, that it, it takes place over two years, wh- which two years is that? Well, again, the, we need, we need you've this. You've got a Lions tour and you've got a World Cup every four-year cycle. So, Absolutely. When, so must, um, th- 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 I did see in the Telegraph story that the Lions summer has been guaranteed and therefore that is a summer that other countries go off on lesser tours. Obviously, the World Cup year, is guaranteed. So that only really leaves two years. So we have to sort of draw our conclusions from that. But does that mean that those years are consecutive or does it mean that those years are, you know, leapfrog years? Well, it sounds like leapfrog years, but again, we need a bit more information. They are uh, leapfrog years. They're, 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 it's they're leapfrog years. Yeah, yeah, so the, 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 the Lions in the World Cup are sacrosanct. So you're, you're actually, you, you know, your form in 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 one year and your form, well, what are we talking about, two years later? 18 could, months, two years later. <laughs> would be a, a chasm. And also trying to actually have a competition, which is truncated in that way, is pretty strange. You know, yes. I, I'm not sure they're, 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 they're linked in that way. As, as I understand it, and I, I might be wrong, because we, we, we don't have any official 
confirmation or, or, or an A to Z of how this, this is working yet. But I think there's... So so in, England will play um, um, three Southern Hemisphere countries, and that, that includes Japan, in which flies in the face of all geography, of course, but Japan, for these purposes, are a Southern Hemisphere country. England will play three of those in the summer. They play them um, um, again at home. And if they finish top of if they finish top of their log, they will then have a final against Tudor Law. Um and that happens in year one, Lions year two, it happens again in year three, World Cup year four. And if if if, if that's if that's the case, organizationally that probably makes a bit of sense. And to my mind, it does add some interest and some value. Um but it, it once again, we're 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 back into the uh, we're back into the realm of of pure rugby elitism, to my mind, completely beggar thy neighbour. There's a whole tranche of countries that world rugby are actually set up to develop. This is their raison d'etre. The non-governing governing body is meant to be doing their best for these countries. Georgia are the classic example, but you've also got the Samoans and the Tongans, one or two others who have made strides, or Uruguayans, let's say. So the whole of Eastern Europe, the whole of South America, apart from Argentina, and the islands, apart from Fiji, are completely cast aside. They will play in a secondary tournament with no gateway, and it will not be considered in terms of promotion and relegation until 2030. So for seven years more, Georgia, who have won 14 out of 16 European Nations Cups, have nowhere to go in terms of tournament rugby, and what's more, they won't even be able to find the few fixtures they do have against tier one countries to make themselves better. And they'll be expected to rock up at a World Cup, as per usual, play like heroes, and then told to bugger off home again, and we'll see you in four years' time. And this may or may not change um, until 2030, by which time they could be lost to the game, as Romania were lost to the game for a variety of reasons at the back end of the 80s. And that is the very opposite of growing the game. So I would ask, what's World Rugby for? Not for investment. Yeah, because effectively, Georgia will be ruled out of getting any summer tests against Tier 1 nations and any Autumn Internationals, right? Of course. Of yeah, course. It's a, well, it's, there's just it's, one it's, summer, one summer in the Lions Tour. And it's worth remembering that rankings at the moment say that they are the sixth best team in Europe. Yeah. So they can't get into the Six Nations, which is <laughs> an interesting, an interesting play with language. They can't get into the Six Nations because that's ring fenced, and and it's completely ring fenced now. I mean, South Africa, their chances of joining the Six Nations have gone under this scheme as well. Mm. Now that may well be a good thing, you know. Every everything has a every everything has an upside, but I, this is not based on rankings. This is based on commercial potential. We all know that. Yeah, this but is, I mean, there's a, there's a, money. but there's a, you know, that there, there's a contradiction there as well as there very often often is. I mean, if it's based on money, um, uh, and if it's based on bums on seats and so on and so forth, then South Africa's inclusion in the Six Nations, even though it may be abhorrent to many people commercially, would make sense. It would. So, so organization is very difficult, Nick, isn't it? And that's yeah. and that's where this doesn't this doesn't add up because you see a double standard all, all the time. 
where it comes to, to, to nations like Georgia. And, you know, essentially, this game's got to decide whether it looks at a meritocracy and actually rewards its nations and clubs as a meritocracy, or whether it allows commercial protection by a particular cartel uh, in its own interests. Now, some people would argue it is those countries that have operated the cartel that have actually propagated the game more than any others. Um, you know, you could certainly argue that in, in the RFU's case, in England's case, and in Wales's case. But there comes a point where this sort of self-interest, and certainly in the current climate, becomes crippling. And that's what you've you've pretty eloquently outlined. And 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 it is, it's a sort of nowheresville. You know, we keep on going round in a catch twenty-two of a cycle. I, I don't and, think enough people out there, Nick, um, understand uh what the Six Nations is. The Six Nations is a privately owned, privately run company. It's a privately owned, privately run tournament with its own board of directors. And it is not beholden to anyone. It's not beholden to World Rugby. World Rugby can't order the Six Nations to shift its its time frame or, yeah. or movements because the directors, who, many of whom are massive voices on World Rugby, of course, so they're wearing two hats straight away, they, they do not have to move at the behest of World Rugby any more than, than, than the Rugby Championship has no. to move or, or incorporate great. anyone new. They simply don't have to do it. And, and no, I, I had a conversation years ago with a very highly placed, this is directly after the 2015 World Cup, actually, with a very highly placed uh, individual in the Six Nations uh, structure. And we were asking, because Romania, after that tournament, were making the case, where do we go from here? They played pretty well. They lost their games, but they were competitive for chunks of games. And their their president, who was a great number eight, Muaru, I think his name was, said to me, we need to be able to move on up into a, a um, an elite European competition to make the best of ourselves. And I asked the person involved with the Six Nations, he said, it is not our business to worry about Eastern European rugby. We have the most successful tournament in the world, and it is our business to ensure that it remains the best tournament mm -hmm. in the world. I have the most successful tournament in the world because it's always been a monopoly. And they've always blackballed people. that They blackballed France at various stages. They wouldn't let Romania in when, when they were probably the third or fourth. There were re the there were reasons for that, Brent. There were, yeah, yeah, there were, but they did. But they were quite plausible the ones as well. <laughs> they were latecomers to the party, and yeah, in the thirties, France were probably playing professionally, but they didn't want that. Well, they got their boot money wrong, didn't they, Brendan? They oh, yeah, put their exactly. boot money I mean, on the outside of their boots so that everyone could see it, you see. That's not... Yeah, right. and, a, and a lot more of it as well. <laughs> you know, and they, they weren't interested in Romania when they didn't like the politics. The boots were size 50. <laughs> they don't like Georgia. It, it's, it's, it's our ball at my game, isn't it? That's their approach. That's their attitude. And because they've had this self-perpetuating... Uh, monopoly and, and cozy club you can't get at them you know and, and they just point to the most successful um competition in the world in many ways but of course it should be the most successful competition in the world you've got you know six um pretty well matched teams all within two hours flight of each other it's always going to be the most successful and competition in the world and hugely supported yeah yeah i think that the the the, the solution in many ways is you're not going to um break that 
sort of. I mean, they would also argue that the traditions of the fixtures and so on and so forth have done an awful lot to promote that tournament, etc. So there's another there's another narrative, but it's it's one of those things where if you if you can't join them, you've got to beat them, and that means that the that the aspiring countries, maybe Georgia as a as a as a spearhead for it or whatever, those that are, if you like, outside the ring fence, have got to create competitions which begin to rival that of the the Six Nations, and then they will listen because yeah. they'll have. So you know that that's it. Sort of goes back to where rugby rugby was at the outset. Which is self-help society, basically, um, and the, you know they. I, I think waiting for um, you know it's like waiting for Godot. You know, waiting for the Six Nations or uh, World Rugby to take a lead on this. You may as you know you may as well whistle Dixie. Well, I agree. I mean, I remember doing a column way back um, saying that. Rugby Europe needs to supercharge that tournament. It needs more profile. It needs better, better TV, um, more buy-in, because still a lot of the players don't get released from French, the French clubs and that. But World Rugby can... And English clubs. And English, and English clubs. clubs. Yeah. But rugby, World Rugby could help. I mean, we get all this nonsense about the World Cups and it's going to the USA. The obvious place for a World Cup very, very soon is Spain. You've got sort of 15, 15 stadiums over 60,000. You've got a yeah. half-decent rugby team waiting to ignite. It's the easiest place in the world to get to. It's got more hotels almost than any country in the world. It would be a fantastic venue. You've got 20% of this year's World Cup are Spanish-speaking. It's the market to go to. I have no idea what World Rugby do with their marketing and their forward thinking. That's where the next World Cup ought to be, not USA. It's, it's, very, no it's very interesting you mentioned the USA, actually. Where do the USA... I mean, USA have been a focal point for world rugby's strategy, certainly commercial strategy, game growth strategy. The USA has been a focal point for that. They've given them a World Cup, even though they can't qualify for this one. They've given them a World Cup in the foreseeable future. But there's, there's nowhere here that they're involved. I mean, they are in the second-tier tournament playing amongst themselves with, you know, the Samoans and the Tongans and the Georgians and the Romanians and those who can't get into, can't break into elite international rugby. So it may be that they've decided that 2030 is the possible cut-off date where suddenly the, the, the ring fencing ends and there's, they will discuss a pathway promotion and relegation or how, whatever they come up with. I think, why probably, wait? I think they're probably praying that the USA is in a better shape by then. Yeah. And that when they get to 2031, I think, after the, after the Rugby World Cup in the States, then there's the possibility of promotion and relegation or expansion or, or whatever you want to call it. Maybe, maybe that's why they've come up with this peculiar date of 2030 before they will consider uh, a gateway into the elite tournament. And I, I guess that's not aimed at Georgia, is it? What it's aimed at is the USA. What does the USA have that Georgia doesn't have? Um, sorry to be socialist about this. But also Spain as a win-win. That would that not only would it be a missionary World Cup, yeah, yeah, that would make cool. hundreds of millions of pounds. It would absolutely fill out stadiums. It would be a yeah. fiesta. Yeah, in fact, the Spain Portugal, a Spain Portugal tournament would be fantastic. I mean, yeah. the, the game, the game last week in, uh, in which Georgia beat um, 
uh, uh, the Portuguese to, to win their eight millionth title in a in a row uh, was in Badajoz, which is right on the Spanish-Portuguese border. It's in Extremadura. It, it's in the middle of <laughs> virtually nowhere. But it was a fabulous stadium, a perfect stadium for a lot of World Cup matches, actually. Yeah. Incredibly colourful, brightly. The whole thing was a good occasion. Yeah. Um, so, you know, World Rugby, I'm sure World Rugby believes in its own brief to grow the game. And, and Southern Europe, as Brendan points out, is a big part of that, as is South America, as is Eastern Europe. Those, those are the growth, those are the, the potential growth areas for the game. But if you if you can't fully involve yourselves at the top end, uh, where all the money is and all the broadcasting is and all the fame and fortune and, and, and exposure and profile, if you can't, if you can't get into that because of protectionism, and it is protectionism, then I think you're you're banging your head against the wall here. The only thing that world rugby is currently growing is its own bureaucracy at a rate of knots, you know. So th that's that's a serious problem. And um its effectiveness seems to diminish with the number of people that it seems to be employing. Are you saying that all that CBC investment money has gone on business flights? <laughs> no, they, you may be, but I'm not. Oh, no, um, I, I live with a lawyer and she's shaking her head at me already. So I think I'm, I, anyway, it's been nice knowing you chaps and I'll, I'll phone you from prison next time. It's, um, but it's, uh, it, you, what, what you say about Spain and Portugal is is very interesting, and, I, and, and having been witness to one or two cross border clashes in the distant past, I've never seen a more ferocious rivalry when the Portuguese and the Spanish get 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 at each other. So uh, yeah, yeah, I can remember watching a game in um, in uh, Coimbra uh, of all places between two club sides, and um, it went off. In minute one, <laughs> didn't stop until minute eighty. In sheer yeah. practical terms, guys, I, I've been in a fifty-four thousand crowd at Barcelona for a Perpignan match. We've all been to San Sebastian, which is an amazing venue, and they Bayon played a match there on Saturday at forty thousand for the match against Po. Uh, Madrid gets good crowds now. You know who wouldn't want to go and watch a match in Mallorca? I just, you know, I just can't see why why they haven't looked at this a bit more serious. Well, I don't think they've looked at it at all. Hmm. They might lose a game on the way through. <laughs> they probably still build an ineligible bar, even though they're qualified. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that doesn't quite sit with me regarding this World Rugby League or whatever you want to call it is. I think sport or international sport is running a risk at the moment. And this is not just rugby. This is, you know, cricket's a good example of, of saturation. I remember the Cricket World Cup, which was at the back end of last year, was followed by an England-Australia series, which quite frankly, just no one cared about. And people were just wondering, why on earth is this happening? And do we want, you know, if you speak about the World Cup, one of its unique selling points or a Lions tour, its unique selling points being the mystery of that North versus South narrative. Do we want another North versus South narrative that really answers some questions that you don't want to be answered by the time a Lions tour, Chris, I'll come to you about this, a Lions tour or a World Cup comes around? It sort of detracts from the mystique somewhat. 
Well, it would. I I have a huge amount of sympathy with the argument you've just put forward, Ollie. Um, um, I I believe in rarity value. Um, there 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 was a story. Uh, it was it was it was, uh, it was a tour before my time, but some of my esteemed um, senior colleagues in Fleet Street went to a tour in South Africa where they were um, where they were hosted by Louis Late, um, uh, who was the the big cheese, the grand fromage of, of Springbok rugby for many years. Uh, he was a bit of a sort of proto Donald Trump in my view, um, and and he he had some interesting views. Um, on all sorts of things. But one of the things you had to agree with him about, as the story was told, is they were in Kimberley, where there was a diamond mine, or a series of diamond mines, I suppose. And Louis Lake picked up a diamond from the, the store and said, these things are very valuable. And the more of these we dig out of the ground, the less valuable they become. And I think that is absolutely um, uh, a key to rugby success rugby is brilliant at big events but if every event is a big event then there aren't any big events yeah, yeah, totally. and it's, it, it, that's that's a big problem i think and yes there is i mean cricket i love cricket um I, it's on a par with rugby with me they're the two great sporting loves of my life i can barely remember the details of um 50 over matches, one or two, maybe a handful. I can remember, I can't remember the details of any T20 matches because there's just so much of this stuff around. And, and interestingly enough, I think, I think rugby, um, uh, because of the financial problems in England, you may well see rugby players increasingly having boots and traveling to wherever it's going to pay them. And you'll soon lose track of the thing. It, 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 it's a, it's a lot of structure in the end. It's a loss of momentum and it's a loss of building up to something that you're really looking forward to and you can throw yourself out and become completely involved. So yeah. if, if, if there's going to be like a world or a, a, a global nations champion um, in year one and a Lions tour in year two and a global nations champion in year three and then a World Cup where you can be world champion as well as global nations champion, then um, I'm beginning to lose track of what means anything. And yeah. that may just be age. I may be flying completely in the face of the zeitgeist, to use a trendy phrase. It may be, it may well be that I simply don't understand how the modern world works. Um, yeah. Why are you all nodding? However, it's... The zeitgeist fly from Heathrow, mate. Uh, <laughs> yes, it has business class feet, so world rugby can be on it as well. Um, uh, so, yes, I have a problem with it. I think that you can, as I say, if every big event is if, if every event is a big event, then big events disappear. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, where I agree with you, and I, but this is on a more, you know, sort of looking at the positives and things that can be done. The quality and coherence of your competitions are absolutely paramount. I take absolutely totally the point that, you know, too much is too much. And all the time they get it wrong. All the time they get it wrong. They reach saturation point. But the real issue is, is that a lot of the competitions that they come up with, you look at the RFU's competitions, you look at the way that they've been debased, and you look at what is happening to the game overall and the lack of, of, uh, of involvement on the part of, uh, of the public to a degree. Um, all of these things are linked. Our competitions, by and large, the World Cup, 
you know, works up to a point. But if you look at the schedule of what is it, a tournament stretching over, is it six, seven weeks this time around in France? There are a, a long spaces where nothing much is happening. And, you know, one or two cluster weekends where everything's happening, you know. So um, even that hasn't got it hasn't got it right you know announcing you know schedules three years ahead is just it's just nuts um you know not taking into account current form and so on and so forth football does it in what six months before the tournament i think so these tournament structures you look at the premiership now i've got a big bone of contention where the where the premiership's concerned because i think that the lack of promotion relegation has turned it into it's probably insulting to say that it's semi-pro, but it's certainly not a league with real bite. No. It doesn't have a really competitive edge. And I think that we're seeing the knock-on from that now. Um, you know, two years on, Saracens having the, you know, the ground cut away from under them, Whether you whatever you think about the rights and wrongs of it. They were the paramount club in England setting the standard. That went, you know, there seemed to be getting somewhere back to it but i don't think they're quite there but by and large the standard of the club games we've got basketball rugby there are some great tries being scored but if you look at the quality of the defense it you know any sport is a balance between attack and defense in the past rugby's got it wrong there's been too much kicking too much stultifying stuff and i understand those people who want an attractive you know game to to see and i endorse it in many respects but it can't be at the expense of saying, well, actually, defence is optional. And, um, you know, that's uh, with an awful lot of fixtures. You know, you're seeing 50-pointers, 50, 50 you're seeing 30-point gaps. You know, I mean, who's, you know, a foregone conclusion is not entertainment. Um, and for those that it is, well, I would have said, go find yourself another sport, but actually find yourself rugby at the moment. Rugby well, this, this is why with the World Cup, I've, I've argued over the past couple of years, um, um, I, um, sending people to sleep, um, as I keep on repeating myself, that the World Cup should be two tournaments. It should be two tournaments. It should be yeah. uh, an elite tournament um, yeah. and um, a secondary tournament, a secondary tournament played in different parts of the week. Yeah. So that you've got games, you know, and but crucially, there must be a big carrot on the end of winning mm. that secondary tournament, and that's qualification for the following World Cup with all mod cons, investment, and coaching help, and what have you to make it competitive and fix Listen, it. We've all, written, we, we've all written about this, this Chris. I mean, one of the things that I thought, and I think uh, Bren might have done as well, is playing a preliminary competition as a sort of um, you know build up to the main show. And actually, when you look at the amount of rugby that some of the, um, you know, the, 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 the breakthrough nations, if you like, play, actually, if you took the four semi-finalists out of that competition and then put them into the main competition, which ran just afterwards, you know, it sort of was a, a, a smooth transition from one competition to the other, you'd have a real festival of rugby and a real and a meritocracy. It's a, that's a possibility. I mean, with that, you still have the problem of the, the main competition still having its long fallow periods. Um, where, whereas if you had if you had simultaneous 
you know, competition A, competition yeah. B. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and actually, the 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 the, the sides finishing bottom of their pools in the top tournament, and the Heineken Cup used to do this. The sides finishing bottom of their pool, pool in the in the in the main tournament drop down into the finals of the. Yeah. Of, so so you do have that preliminary competition. Um, yes, the side finishing third in their pools end after the pool phase, but at least they've at least they've achieved their aim of qualifying automatically for the following World Cup. So that's sort of job done. So that there, there are there there are there is a mechanism where you can make yes. this happen and make those seven weeks pretty much full of rugby, yeah. full of rugby, which would yeah. be fantastic because you know we've we've been lucky enough to cover World Cups and you know what it's like at the back end of those tournaments. As soon as you get in the knockout stage, you've got days. With nothing happening, days, because everything's Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you know the Friday night and the Saturday for the third place playoff and the final. Um, so you so you have a very very small number of games covering three very long weeks, and the momentum does it does drop, it does drop away, but doesn't they? The energy goes out of it. Chris, what would be your proposed model to eliminate that? And if we're talking World Cups now, to eliminate the three long weeks without the momentum? My, well, my proposal, if, if, if you had the secondary tournament, the secondary tournament is played throughout Monday to Friday. And the big games are Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So there's rugby, there's rugby for, there's rugby. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the better idea, Chris. And then the reward for that, like you said initially, is qualification for the next World Cup, so you can plan your World Cup cycle. I think it would get a bit too confusing and maybe a little bit too demanding physically on the lesser nations who have gone through a qualifying tournament to then go again for four matches against yeah. some... Be, but I think be, intermingling, like a trophy competition for, say, 12 of, let's use the word, minnows, then you've got the main competition and, and the, the trophy competition takes centre stage midweek, Monday to Friday for the last last yeah. three weeks. Hmm. That, that's that, that's that's the idea of it, really. I, I suppose. I mean, I mean, there, there's there's stuff that you can, you know, there's all sorts of ways you can you can cut and paste this stuff. But it's in the in the end, you just want you just want your shop window, shop window six stroke seven weeks to be full of rugby. Mm-hmm. And and actually, I don't see why the broadcasters who put quite a, you know ITV put quite a lot of games on ITV four or whatever it is anyway they'd snatch your hand off because they just have more just have more to broadcast and I, I don't I really don't want to watch the All Blacks put one hundred and ten points on the Portuguese or whoever I don't want to watch it seriously it's a turn off I'd I'd, I'd 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 sooner watch a rerun of Succession or whatever it, it's <laughs> I, I, you know and so so that somebody can. And join in the swearing. It, it's just, it, to me, as Nick said earlier, it's simply not, it's a very peculiar form of entertainment, to my mind, to watch a complete and utter thrashing. Uh, I don't want to see it. So if you've just got a secondary tournament with a bunch of highly competitive games, sure, some some countries will be stronger than others, even in that. But at least you've got, at least you go into it not knowing what's going to happen. New Zealand, yeah. Portugal, I know what's going to happen. Unless Ian Foster's going to play at Stramath, I know what's going to happen. And he won't select himself. And what about, you know, I mean, the, the cup competitions that exist at the moment, you know, I mean, we, we, we'll we get on to the, uh, what I call the European Cup, but still called the Heineken Cup by some, uh, the European Champions Cup by others, so on and so forth. But that, the, the change of format there has, I don't believe, has uh, has enhanced the tournament. 
when you look at the cup tournaments, when you look at how cup tournaments galvanized rugby in the past, and you look, for example, at the abomination that is the Premiership Cup at the moment, which is just a rerun, a rehash of, you know, Premiership fixtures that you've already seen, you know, two, three or maybe four times a season. You know, it's it's just a complete, the, the, the mess that has been made of competitions, you know, beggar's belief, really. It's, uh, you know, it's myopic and it's it's costing the game it's costing the game profile and it's costing the game players and supporters i don't really, i don't really disagree i i i, well, I don't disagree with any of that actually. it's um i i I'm, the heineken cup as it was at the european cup was uh, for for a good few years a lot of us treasured that more than we treasured the six nations you know we look forward to that with greater urgency and greater enthusiasm, some of those, some of those, you know, even in the pool stages, there were some great rounds. You know, the sort of back, the, the last two rounds of those pool stages when there was sort of stuff on the line. Leaving, yeah. leaving this, I mean, the quarterfinal weekend of the old Heineken Cup was stunning. That was the best Absolutely weekend of the season. Yeah, best yeah. weekend. Yeah. Um, and it has been, it has been neutered. I think there's been a lot of fiddling around with it. Seedings didn't do it. I don't think did it many favors. Um, if, if you're always trying to to protect the strong from the strong in these tournaments, mm. then I think you 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 end up walking up a bit of a cul-de-sac. Um, yeah, it's a little bit like the old boxing heavyweight yeah. boxing rankings yeah. where nobody nobody ever fought anybody. Well, well, indeed. So, 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 it, it, so back in the day, if 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 Munster, if Munster, uh, Leinster, and Toulouse had ended up, as they might have done back in the day, in the same Heineken Cup pool. What's not to like? You've got some fantastic pool games because one of those sides ain't going to make it out of the pool. What a, well, what guys, you, you must have been reading the column I've just written because <laughs> I, I think I must be. I'm not, I might be unique here, and I have absolutely no issue with this World Cup draw, other than um, it doesn't make sense to do it three years before. But all this micromanagement of tournament drives me mad. I don't want to see that. I, you know, and I have no objection if, if one, of, like you were saying there, if one of the big sides goes out, as England did in 2015, uh, in, in the pool stages, well, tough cookie. That's, cop you know, the FA Cup, the greatest competition in the world in terms of sports romance. The reason it's great is that in round three, Man United can be playing Man City and Liverpool can be playing Arsenal. And that means somewhere down the line, some second division team is going to reach the quarterfinal or semi-final. And suddenly you got that excitement and energy to the competitions. Dead right. Absolutely dead right. Every Everyone, it's amazing in sport now how everyone is scared of a blind draw, aren't they? They're absolutely <laughs> petrified of a blind draw. What, the, the older balls are in the bag? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's remarkable, really, um, how, how, things have, how things have turned. I mean, I mean, those World Cup draws in for the football, I mean, I think bro broadly football in its tournaments gets, gets a lot of things right for I mean, I mean, or else you know, it's one of the reasons why it's a hell of a successful sport. But the 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 contortions that they perform in those World Cup draws to keep aside from the same hemisphere out of the same group and what have you, and and you know, you, you, one day one day somebody's going to have to play Pluto because it's the only team left. <laughs> and and see, this is why I rather celebrated the fact that World Cup got it so wrong with the top five teams in one half of the draw. I mean, that's what happens when you start faffing around.
know, it's a hell of a group. Bring it on. South Africa, Ireland, Scotland's a hell of a group, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a belting group. (laughs) But what we risk with it is a World Cup that will, well, we were saying Nick peaked too early, (laughs) a World Cup that might peak too early as well, because you've got a fantastic group stage and then the final. I don't want to say foregone conclusion, but we're fully expecting the winner to come from one side of the draw, right? Well, except oh, that they, where the they, they, they pick chumps at each other, weren't they? they? I mean, they they would have had a bloody hard run into that final. I mean, all the way. I mean, actually, one of the, one of the one of the the complaints about New Zealand in the many years when they couldn't win a World Cup for love and money was that they were always caught cold because they hadn't had enough hard games. Mm. They coasted through the pool. They had a they, they had a. a Semi walk over in the quarterfinal, and suddenly they run into someone horrible in the semi final and lose because they're not battle hardened. Well, they'll be battle hardened this time if if they get if they get to the final, they'll know all about it, and that would have taken something out of them. So whoever their uh, opponents are in that final, from the so called softer half of the draw, will have a little bit of a little bit of a lift from that. So that's fine. I, I'm 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 with Bren. I, I'm not. Uh, I think three years is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, uh, but I'm, I'm I'm with Brenton. It, it's um it's there's a lot of interest in rugby to be played in that tournament um, because of the draw, but that's those are unintended consequences, not intended. Yeah, yeah. and you can guarantee that either the Pumas, England, or Australia will get hot. You know, one of those will really hit their stride at some stage yeah. in the World Cup. So the, the notion that it's going to be, you know. A, a sort of soft team who's coming your out. Bet? Who's your bet, Brent? Who's going to who, who's going to get red hot out of those three? Australia, probably. It's just it, you just you just know it with Eddie. It's, gonna, it's written, isn't it? You're <laughs> going to see him grinning out of your TV screens, <laughs> and people will be part of. I, I also mind you, I think I think the Pumas, who tend yeah. to go one poor World Cup, one really good World Cup. Yeah, and and last one was a poor one. So draw your own conclusions. I think they've got a bit going for them. Out of those three sides, I think England have got the most to do, actually, to to hit a level, to hit a serious level. And I'm not saying they can't do it for a second, as long as they don't pick them defensively weak. Max Malins on a wing, because if Caden Murdy can run over him as much as he did at the weekend, then so can some other players. However, I do think Argentina and Australia. Uh, have will Australia will have momentum behind them, and the Pumas do have momentum behind them at the moment in World Cup year. So yeah. it, that, that is pretty interesting. Yeah, I guess we'll see where they're uh, where, where they're heading in this Rugby Championship. That, that yeah. might be quite an interesting addition of the Rugby Championship for the reasons that you've outlined. I'm not sure about Jones. Um, he, he tends to <laughs> he tends to he tends to have sort of meteoric bursts at the beginning, but. I don't know. They they know him much better than we do, and um, I, I don't think that his arrival was greeted with uh, you know <laughs> sort of uh, confetti from the bloody skyscrapers in Sydney. That's for sure. There there uh, are times, Dick, when I when I get the impression that you're not a massive Jones fan. Do you know I I I, I was a Jones fan when he arrived and went on a you know a seventeen match unbeaten spree. I was very much a Jones fan because, you know, he he, he picked people. Uh, you know, I still think that the back row had no balance to it at all. But by God, the guys who were in that back row played their hearts out, you know, and 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 they finished their careers on a on a high. And you know, 
more power to them for doing so. Uh, so, yeah, I was a Jones fan, but I didn't uh, uh, end up a Jones fan at all because I think he completely lost his way. He's, and, a, good, he's a good short-termer, isn't he? He's a good short-term fixer. Well, listen, that's what, that's you know, I mean, if you listen to what was said in the Southern Hemisphere when he came, that's what everybody was saying. You know, you'd be all right for one term, but, yeah. you know, don't let him try and build a bloody dynasty. I, I must I must correct you on one thing though, Nick. When you said um, when you said that they didn't chuck confetti uh, uh, in in Sydney um, when when the prodigal son returned, they did roll out the red carpet. Actually, I was there at the time. They did roll oh, really? out the red, red carpet, but they rolled Eddie up in it because they had to smuggle him into the chairman's house so that they so that they could do this top this top secret contractual deal with the chairman's wife in her pajamas. Reminding her husband to sign the contract, or else it wasn't operable. Um, you hear it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like another fabrication. <laughs> Who's going to deny it? <laughs> Shall we move on? Hmm. Let's look at the Champions Cup. Um, we won't preview every fixture because there just isn't time. A uh, few interesting narratives. I'm going to start with well, Johnny Sexton's injury. I guess the first thing, Nick, would be that Sexton's Leinster career may likely be over. Yeah, I, I don't know. Johnny Johnny Sexton and injuries is a very um, uh, well-worn path and uh, he very often makes miraculous comebacks. He comes back very quickly sometimes. So uh, it's looking, um, you, you know, the, the reported stuff is, is that this is a long-term injury. We'll see. Um, but Burn has, you know, has covered those bases uh, before and uh, appears to be increasingly assured as a player. He, he understands the Leinster playbook inside out and shows far greater poise and composure than he used to. So um, I, I, I'm not sure that it'll, uh, it, it'll derail Leinster. It does Ireland a favour as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that this guy's going to be in some must-win games, I mean, in some yeah. serious matches. I mean, I mean, let's let's say Sexton's injury goes to term, so to speak, and that, that as far as far as this Northern Hemisphere season is concerned, he's he's done. If if so, that's the worst case scenario for him. But it gives Burn some very high-profile games, some pressure games, and the great suspicion about Ireland at the World Cup was they're looking in great shape. But what happens if Sexton goes down? Well, this may give them an answer. What happens if Sexton goes down? Is 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 Byrne comes up with some big matches behind him and some confidence um, derived thereof? So uh, I think it, I, I I think there's a positive to be taken from that from, in the general, not from Sexton's point of view, obviously, because I don't think I've ever seen as competitive a, a number ten as him uh, in terms of his in terms of his. It's just general temperament and attitude. He's a he's a remarkable individual, but I I, I can see positives to be drawn from. It's an interesting little passage for Lens to this because up until the end of March last season, they were as equally as dominant as they are this season, and then they started running into a little bit of stormy weather in URC and Heineken Cup. And of course, what is happening? Although the Irish system wonderfully sort of measured out the, the matches per player, all the top players. The Ireland boys, of which uh, Leinster had 20 in the Ireland squad, will be coming back a little bit pooped. And he's still got the business end of the season to come. So I've no reason to believe that they're going to slip up against Ulster. But 
there's quite a tough um, three matches ahead, potentially four matches, if they're going to win the thing. Uh, so, you know, if, if they're going to falter, it's going to happen in the next two or three weeks, I think, Leinster. Yeah, there's a, that's a good word, Poop. There's another word beginning with P, which may apply to themselves <laughs> as well. Um, yes, I haven't seen a few videos <laughs> on Twitter. The boys have been having a good time, I think, after the uh, the, the Grand Slam. So that that is that is that is what you call both ends, isn't it? If you if you anyway, um, we'll leave that hanging, um, so to speak, because that's just a long road. But we agree, despite the sex and injury, despite the fact that a lot of Ireland players will have been celebrating the Grand Slam, to put it mildly, Leinster still favourites against Ulster. Yeah, oh, there's still, yeah, and if you look at the rotation in the in the Irish squad, injuries and so on and so forth. There were, I, I, I'm not quite sure how many people represented them over the course of the uh, the, the tournament, the Six Nations, but the way that they adapted and their depth men, means that that sort of attrition on certain players isn't as great as it might might have been. Hmm. I think elsewhere, one of their biggest headlines for the tournament as a whole is the first knockout stage games in South Africa. Brendan, one thing I'll be paying attention to is stadium capacities, which certainly for the URC have been, well, not just subpar. They just haven't been up to scratch at all. So, well, that'll be something that's pretty telling for how much the Champions Cup means in South Africa, no? Well, Stormers Quinns on paper, isn't it? An extremely attractive match. You know, who if you're in down in Cape Town, who wouldn't want to go and watch that? But we'll see because, you know, the, the gates have been very disappointing. They play them in big stadiums there, so... Even when you get like ten, twelve thousand, it looks like nobody's there. So th this is this is going to be proof of the pudding this weekend. Um, that's a, it's a big match for Quinns, that isn't it? I mean, their season has gone obviously at Premiership level, and yet you get the feeling they're not a million miles away from putting some good performances together. I mean, they were very ragged on Saturday at Twickenham, but they produced some really good rugby as well. So th this is a, a make or break match for them for their season. So I'd expect something pretty special from them. And if Stormers can match it, that could be a really, really good match to watch. You've got yeah, a lot I, of guys on side with a point to prove as well. Obviously, Don yeah. didn't hit his straps in the Six Nations. Marcus Smith certainly, well, probably didn't get enough opportunities, but when he did, he didn't. And then Andre Esterhazen, who is now heading towards a World Cup chance, and he's heading to his home nation to do so. Yeah, I think that the uh, I think that the that the South African crowds will come out. Or the it's essentially knockout stage of the uh, of the Heineken Cup. I think that they know that it's still, despite having been mucked around, uh, it's still a quality competition. Um, and the idea that I mean English, you know, non uh, South African club sides are going to find out just how difficult it is to win in South African. Uh, conditions on South African, you know, grounds behind, you know, teams that are well supported. Because I think that both the uh, the Sharks and the um, the Stormers will get uh, pretty good crowds for these games, and um, I'd expect to see both of the South African sides win. Well, I wish it hadn't happened. The whole South African thing, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 ge I'm geographically confused. Japan's in the northern hemisphere as far as rugby is concerned, yeah. and South Africans are in the European Cup. Give me a break. Yeah, South but you know, I mean, South, South Africans, Africans South Africans playing in a tournament where they were 
you know, zinging their way across to the antipodes and spending months, you know, on on sort of perpetual tour um, or or in aircraft. I think was you know is, is the distances. It's actually closer to Europe. So, it never a, made sense. The Super Rugby, as it was, that that format never made sense to me. There's, uh, there's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that that's all. That all that's all true. In it and and it was. Um, it's extremely. I mean, geography is an extremely difficult thing. And South <laughs> Africa and Argentina, of course, are are if you like victims of geography. Now, rugby is. Yeah. Has taken taken its steps to try to uh, to try and, and bridge that divide by inc yeah. including them in tournaments that involve an awful lot of travel. I, I mean, I'm not making this as a green argument, although you could make it as a green argument that South yeah. Africa or Quinn shouldn't be flying to Cape Town for 18 minutes of rugby and flying home again. The whole thing's ridiculous. However, um, uh, the, just leaving that aside, I don't think that there's an answer, a satisfactory answer to something. So I, I simply think that some things are beyond satisfactory answers, and this is one of them. And the fact that South African rugby, I mean, South African rugby is pretty strong. It has an awful lot of players. Um, it, I mean, it has so many players that half of the premiership is populated by South Africans. It's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a vast number of... Uh, they've, got, they've got a great domestic tournament, a genuinely great domestic tournament, which has been downgraded because of Franchise rugby, uh, that can be that can be reinstituted if they so chose, and that to me would, as an old git, that would me that would mean adding to the mystery of the game. You know, I see so much of these players uh, now that the the the, the, mis the mystery of the game is sort of gone. But it's just the notion of, of South African teams playing in the European Champions Cup. It just doesn't sit very easily with me. And um, I, I see, see no particular reason to feel sorry for the South Africans um, any more than we should feel. You know, if you're going to feel sorry for the South Africans, uh, what must the Georgians feel? Mm. Yeah, they can't get a team in the European Champions Cup and they're in Europe. Well, the Argentines can't get a team anywhere. anywhere. Well, well, they can't get a team. They can, well, that of course, they were... Was Pichot's sort of terrific side, you know, that finished third in... Um, in 07, were they based in scattered all, scattered all around Europe? Uh, they were they were all around Europe. Uh, did, did they have a, a sort of European base? Brem will know this. Did they have a European base? Oh, I think, um, although most of them were based in France, I think they used to have a training camps in Spain occasionally. Uh, mm. That's where they used to base themselves before the November tour and the summer tours. They used to all go down there and train in a warm Spanish speaking environment. Um, I got I, twelve months ago. I was as skeptical as Chris, and it just—it doesn't really—it still doesn't really sit right. I would say, however, that it's been a little less hassle-free than I thought it was going to be. Like they seem to become part of the URC very quickly. There seems to be some good rivalries um, in, in there, um, and it, it's not jarring that much. One of the main things is they're not complaining and whinging. If they'd started complaining and whinging about the the 12 hour overnight flight i would have lost my rag but they don't like they they and they're bringing up pretty strong teams most weeks so it's not ideal i don't really like it but it hasn't been quite as bad as i thought it was going to be mm. nick i think it was you that mentioned you expected a win for the south african size does that apply to toulouse versus bulls as well no <laughs> when I said the South African sides, I meant the two. I, I named the two sides playing at home. 
I think that the home advantage for those sides will be significant. And and they, you know, they they respond to their crowds. Their crowds expect them to, uh, you know, to to win. Um, and uh, I think that the Stormers, you know, the Stormers have got a, a stack of Springboks, as have the Sharks. They're the two. They're the two best. Um, of the South African franchises, and I think that they'll 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 be, you know, they'll be significant uh, challenges for the trophy this time around. Yeah, and the thing what you were about South South African involvement, I think if we look at this round of fixtures, Sharks versus Monsters and Stormers versus Quins are the probably two of the most eye catching ones there. One thing that does interest me is that Chris will be able to see just whether there is a gulf in quality between the URC and, well, the top 14 or the English Premiership, or certainly a gulf in competitiveness. When, you know, we speak about the Premiership not providing the necessary competitiveness. The South African teams maybe haven't been challenged as they could have been on a regular basis in that league. Well, Chris, they'll damn well be challenged now, especially if you look at the Bulls coming up against Dupont and Co. Yeah, look, it's... Um, the, the the games, leaving aside the broader sort of rugby political arguments around the tournament, the, the games and the games are not unattractive, as as, as Brennan and Nick and and, and your good self have pointed out. Um, I, I do I do feel, I, I wish um, I do wish that one of the storms of the sharks, uh, the draw had, had sort of fallen that they had to go to Saracens this weekend. One of those two sides going to Saracens, or or maybe Saracens going down there. But I, I quite. I'd quite like to see those one or two of those big name, and we may get to see it, of course, one of those really big name um, uh, South African franchises having to go to sort of Sonny Hendon in there on a on a on a dodgy sort of plastic pitch in a, in what is still a slightly peculiar atmosphere to my mind around rugby, uh, you know, rugby in Saracens land with all the sort of strange gimmicks that they do and you know the. The song it before the end of the game and all that kind of business and a and a gong to tell you when it's half time and I mean it's it's quite an alien it's quite an alien culture I mean Saracens are setting themselves up as a sort of taboo breaking kind of club and it's it, an alien it, culture that South Africans have had a big part in uh, informing well they have this was a very long winded way of saying it was the green argument they could cut down their travel. <laughs> By just playing Saracens every week because they run the place. Um, it's uh, I, no, I, I do think that is there a gulf between the Premiership and the URC? I think there was, but I'm not sure there is now. I'm not sure there is now. I think the best of the URC sides are right up there. Um, I think I think the very best of the Premiership sides on a good day uh, can ask Leinster some significant questions. But when I say the best, the best of the Premiership sides, I'm talking about one or two. I think we're, we're. I think we're in a situation where no Premiership side has got past the quarterfinals for the last two years, and I can see a similar scenario coming up uh, this time round because um, if Leicester get past Edinburgh, where did we say that they were going? Going, uh, Brent? Probably Leinster. Probably Leinster. And if um, if Saracens get past Ospreys, they've got to go to La Rochelle. So that those are two pretty uh, tall orders for anybody, the reigning champions and the perennial finalists um, and multiple times winners. So 
I think that they, that we, we will see the Premiership clubs come up short again. I just don't think that they're. Uh, I mean, Saracens are, uh, uh, of them all. Saracens are the side that are capable of perhaps getting 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 further. Uh, but um, I don't see it this time round, unfortunately. If, if this draw had fallen, I mean, imagine this: if this if this draw had fallen slightly differently, and Saracens and and Leicester have been away from home against formidable opposition, you could easily you could easily have had a quarter final round consisting exclusively of Irish, French, and South African sides. A quarter final round. And that would have been, I mean, what that would have done for the Premiership self-esteem and those who fly the flag for English club rugby and try to try to argue that it is, it is where it was a few years ago, that would that would have been a, a savage blow. I don't expect it to happen because Saracens will be Ospreys, um, for, for, for sure. Um, I'm not sure about Leicester and Edinburgh, mind you. I think that's quite an interesting match. Uh, you know, having seen Ospreys win at win at, at Welford Road, I'm um, I'm slightly more circumspect than you are on that one, Chris. Well, Saracens without Owen Farrell, probably as well. Well, that's well, well, that's true. But I mean, I mean, just, just I mean, talking talking of him and, and Saracens and what have you, and watching Saracens play, just going back on the whole England, uh, on the whole state that England are in. I mean, why doesn't somebody like Lazowski get a proper look in? Wasn't he good at the weekend? I mean, he was really, really good at the weekend, and and of course, yet again, he's, yet again, he's, he's multi-positional. Outstanding, and and yeah. and we and we bang on forever and a day about the value of massive centres. Saracens, the best side in the country for sure, play with two relatively small. I mean, nobody's small in rugby anymore, are they? But two relatively small individuals at twelve and thirteen, Tompkins yeah. and Lazowski. Both of them punch their weight and more, which is important. But that's always been the case in rugby. What they aren't are beasts, neither of them. And it's it's very interesting that they can they can play the game they do with the physicality they show with I mean, two relatively small centres. Lazowski, to me, I mean, I've always thought he was a good player. Uh, he, he just reminded me of how good a player he was on Saturday. He yeah, was he's awesome. playing. He's playing Great. very well indeed. Yes, he is. He's a very good. If, player. if you look at if if you look at um, Lazowski's, um, you know, the door closing on Lazowski, it was Eddie Jones who yeah. shut the the door on him as a result of one missed tackle against Japan, or at yeah, least yeah. as far as anybody could see. And um, yet there are multiple non-performers for England or, or, or mediocre or poor performers for England who Jones selected time after after time. So, you know, it, it seemed to be, as, as was the case with, with, with Eddie, totally inconsistent in terms of the approach that he took to selection. Lazowski should have had a much better treatment than he than he has. No question. I hope he gets in the England World Cup squad now because I don't know if you noticed yesterday that Italy announced they wouldn't be taking up any of the dual qualified players who they offered to join uh, before the Six Nations, of which Lazowski was one. They're just going to pick from everybody they've got now. So that boat has sailed. So, you know, he ought to be at the World Cup. He's a, he's a World Cup class player, Lazowski, and I can't believe there isn't room for him in a squad of whatever they're going to take, 33, 34. He can play everywhere. He can play everywhere. He's across the field, yeah. And a serious goal kicker. 
yeah. as well. Yeah, he's 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 like a he's not quite an Austin Healy, but who is? <laughs> um, uh, but he's uh, but his versatility would would add um, that alone would add a massive amount of value. But even if you wanted him to concentrate on one position, the way he's playing at the moment and giving you another goal kicking option is just. Right. I, I thought he was exceptional. Uh, worth a mention that obviously the women's Six Nations, the Red Roses, did get um, their campaign underway with a resounding win over Scotland. Um, Sarah Hunt. <laughs> just exactly the sort of um, result that we've been talking about. You know, foregone conclusion, 50-point win. We will be looking at it next week. We've got Maggie Alfonsi coming on. Um, so we'll look forward to that episode then. Gents, again, I apologise for my voice, my illness, but thanks very much for joining me. Actually, just before we go on, a shout-out for Harrow School. Uh, Roslyn Park Sevens last week, they won the under-18 men and the under-16. I mean, I've been going to that thing for God knows how long. I can't remember that happening before. And the under-16s won it last year as well. So they've really got a stranglehold on that now. Um, That's where Henry Arundel came from, Harrow School. Uh, So I don't know if there's a... I don't know who their standouts are, but they're obviously playing some seriously good rugby. Apparently, it was the muddiest final in 50 years, so it would have been a bit of fun down there, I imagine. Didn't Billy Vunapola go to Harrow? You might be right there. And I think Maro Itoje did as well. Maro Itoje definitely did, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was Billy V, Maro and Arundel, so they're definitely providers of talent, aren't they? You've seen that Eddie Jones has been trying to pinch him to Australia, saying he'd love for him to switch if if he got the chance. Yeah, just stirring the pot as per. Is that why Billy didn't? I don't know how long it is till he get. Well, it's another two and a half years away. He played for England in the autumn, didn't he? But I mean, that that bloke Dempsey is playing for Scotland, having accumulated, you know, fifteen Wallaby caps. So I don't know how long it would take. How long would it take Vunipola to be just a year? Three years, isn't it? Three. No, I thought they changed it. It's a year now. Since when? Oh, I must have missed that. Where have you seen the one year thing? I'm fairly sure that's not true. No, I, I think I'm. I, I think I'm wrong. I think that it is still three years. But hang on, can you keep that bit in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put, put, put that on a put Sorry, that on, on, on a loop. Put that on a loop and insert it every time he shuts <laughs> yeah, up. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm all in favour of land of your birth, and that's it. Because that would have meant that Paul Ackford had to play for Germany. right guys we will wrap up there Um, I will see you all next week well done chaps thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast and don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends the Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday and to make sure you don't miss it subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions that's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day <laughs>